Well, I'm excited. I, uh, I've been, I always look forward to preaching. I love it. Um, if you've ever heard me preach before, uh, you know that I get pretty excited about it. Uh, I love to teach. Um, I have, uh, one thing I'm working on is I'm gonna try not to go a hundred miles per hour. I'm gonna try to stick around 75. Uh, because when I get excited, I tend to talk quickly. So I'm going to do my best uh, to slow down. But let me tell you, this is a great message this morning that I really believe the Lord has given us. So I am sorry if I go a little bit quick. Uh, but it was interesting when Brian was like, hey, we're going to have this youth Sunday. I was like, oh, that's going to be awesome. You know, I love I love the youth, you know, like like if you're a youth right now, why don't you go ahead and stand up? Junior high and high school, wherever you guys might be. Let's give them a hand. This is the youth of your church. Good job. You guys are like, okay, we're done. We're going to sit. Good, good. But they are just incredible people. And I was really excited because I was like, well, what do I preach on during Youth Sunday? You know, like, you know what? He's like, you can preach on anything you want. And I was like, awesome, you know. And so I'm like, oh, no, but the Bible's huge. Like, how do you pick, you know? And so, you know, I, I thought about the traditional ones, you know, First Timothy, you know, you know, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example for those who believe. I was like, that's pretty standard, right? And I was like, no, everybody does that, you know, who wants to preach on that, you know? Every, you guys have heard that a long time. And then, and I was like, well, what do you, what do I think the people want to hear, you know? And so I was like, oh, I know what they want to hear. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your your father and your mother. I was like, they would love it if I preached on that. Like, they'd be like, yes. The parents would be like, amen. Amen. And I was like, no, I don't want to preach on that. Because then the youth would be like, thanks, Janice. I appreciate it. You know, I was like, I don't want to do that. So after a, a long time of really wrestling back and forth, I decided, let's preach on adultery. So we, <laughs> during your Sunday, oh, we are, we are. We're going to be talking about John 8, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. John 8, 1 through 11, is the woman caught in adultery. Of all of the passages, this is the one I wanted to preach about the most. So you'll be like, Janice, this is weird, but just hang with me, all right? Trust me on this, you know? Have I let you down? No. I've had some great stuff. So, So let's just... Just follow with me on this, okay? So let's, uh, so I'm gonna call it Caught in the Act. And I'll tell you why I did, I chose that. Uh, it's not as obvious as you would think. So we're calling it Caught in the Act. So we're gonna go ahead and read through the passage. So if you go ahead and stand while we're reading, uh, through God's Word, I would appreciate that. So it says this. I'll read it from there because it's bigger than my notes. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. 
Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So let's go ahead and take a seat so you're not standing for the next hour and a half. That would be unfortunate. If we look at the beginning of this, whenever you read the Bible, you want to kind of figure out what's going on. And so at the very beginning, it says Jesus was teaching at the temple, and there was a crowd around him. And I was like, who is this crowd that is around Jesus? Because whenever Jesus was around teaching, it always says that there's these crowds that gather. And I always wonder, I was like, who is it that goes and hangs out with Jesus? I mean, we have, you know, if he's at the temple, let's just assume that there's some Jews there, because that's kind of the thing. You know, it's like going to a church and assuming there's probably some Christians there. You know, so he's teaching, and there's there's probably, you know, some very religious Jews that are, that are around him that he's teaching to. But, you know, one thing I've ever, I've always noticed about Jesus is that whenever I see in Scripture that Jesus is teaching, that the crowd is kind of like the unsavory types. You guys ever notice this in Scripture? Like, I read this all the time. And and I was and I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, Jesus is teaching at the temple and and he has this huge crowd around him and and I want to know who's in the crowd because I'm like, you know, like would I be there? You know, would my would my friend Sarah be there? You know, would my friend, you know, John be there? Like who would go to hear Jesus teach? And I started thinking about this. I was like, Lord, like God tell me like like help, help me get a picture of what's going on. And he and he took me to Luke 15. And this is what it says, and it says, tax collectors and other, this is my favorite, notorious sinners, I love this, and came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So there's a couple things here. One, if you know me, one of my favorite modes of ministry is food. If you know me, it is, it is my favorite thing. You know, so if, if people, yeah, Connie, I got you. You know, so, you know, so for me, when I meet with people, I, you know, if, if anyone besides myself, I don't know how to cook, but if they're like, I know how to make, I'm like, I'm there. Tell me what time, give me a location, I'd be glad to meet you. You know, or, or we do a lot of Denny's runs, I've had more pizza than I can count. You know, like I'm all about eating with people. Because I think that there's something about being with people that just brings that family closeness. You know, like if you eat a table as a family. There's something about that versus just, you know, like grabbing some food on the go. And not only was he eating with them, but it says that it was the tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And this was Jesus's reputation. I love this. I was like, I, I was thinking about this and I was like, what if I was at church and my reputation was that I was eating with notorious sinners? And I was like, man, I want that reputation. So I'm, I don't know what I'm gonna need to do to get this, but, but man, I know. <laughs> You're like, Janice, well hold on there. But think about it. If this is Jesus' reputation, shouldn't we also desire for this reputation? Which seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? As church people, we tend to try to, well, we need to, we need to separate ourselves. We're the set apart. We're the saints. We're the ones that are over here. But there's something about this that, that Jesus was known that the people that hung out with him, the people that were drawn to Jesus, were the notorious sinners, the tax collectors, the ones that were just, you know, like the dredge of society. And I was like, these might have been some of the people that were in the crowd during this day as well. Some of these notorious sinners. And I, I'm not saying like, just go, you know, go find these people and go do whatever, but... 
But I want to be a person just like Jesus as he's teaching in the temple that anyone, whether they grew up in church, whether they have no idea who Jesus is, whether they're living the perfect life, or whether they're just a notorious sinner, I want all of these people to want to come to hear. I want all these people to come and, and, and hear what I'm teaching. Like I was thinking about, okay, well Jesus was teaching in the temple, I'm teaching in a church. It's kind of the same, right? I was like, man, I would love it if they were like, Janice is going to preach and then all these notorious sinners came in. Like, I'd be like, yes! You know, like, it's biblical! I would be so excited! Because all of these people that maybe wouldn't normally come in a church would be excited to come and hear what God had to say into their lives. How cool would that be? Oh, I can't wait, you know? Like, I'm going to I'm gonna work on this, guys. Hopefully by the next time I preach, we're going to get some more notorious sinners in here. I can't wait. It's going to be fit. So get ready. She's <laughs> like, she's never preaching again. But I know what you're thinking. I see the faces, you know? But, but how great would that be that all of these people that would normally not come are coming to hear Jesus teach about these things? This is awesome. So that's the beginning of the story. He's doing these things. But then we have the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you don't know about them, these are people that have dedicated their lives to the study of Scripture and to living it out. The scribes and the Pharisees, they knew more about God's Word than anybody. They knew more about... They they lived in a way that, like, every day they'd get up and they'd be like, Law number one, check. Law number two, did it. You know, like, they were really good. And so these are the guys that are coming before Jesus, bringing, grabbing this adulterous woman, bringing her before Jesus and saying, well, here she is, the law of Moses, because they know, they know stuff. You know, they're like, the law of Moses says to stone her. And think about this, because I always like to relate the things that happened then to the things now. The law of Moses is a really important thing, because remember, that was scripture, the law of Moses are, are laws that were recorded in the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So there's, uh, what is it? I want to check my notes to make sure I'm not giving you a bogus number. 613 commands. And so in this, in this, there are 248 that say, do this. So love the Lord your God. You know, get up and be kind to people. Like these are like the do's of the law. And then there, just in case you need it, 365 that say, no, 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 don't do that. Nope, don't do that. Don't do that. So there is this, this huge law that is in scripture that's, that's giving a good outline of what to do and what not to do. So it's in those first five books. It's also called the Pentateuch. Penta being five. Tuchos meaning book. So five book Pentateuch. Okay? And so it's in there. And they're, they're citing scripture. Which we, it's not, again, that's not a bad thing, is it? They're citing scripture. They're going back to their scripture. And they are saying, well, according to the law, according to this law of Moses here, this is what we should be doing. Which is an important thing. I love that one thing, they get a bad rap, but I do appreciate that they at least go to scripture about stuff. You know, they're, they're at least trying. You know, I give them some props for that. You know, they're, well, in the law of Moses, it says this. 
And I was like, you know what? I appreciate that you're doing that because I think as believers in general, all of us should be going to scripture to get direction. You know, I should be like, well, according to, you know, John, da, 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 you know, I wish I was that good. John can do that. I'm not as good at that, you know, but according to this or this, this is what should happen. So in, in one essence, they're doing what they think that they should be doing, which is going to scripture, which is exactly right. We should go to scripture for how to live our lives. But what they do is they don't understand the purpose of the scriptures that have been written. They don't understand why the law was given. And that's a big problem because if you don't know why it is there, then that can create some problems for you. So they brought this conundrum before Jesus of saying, well, the law of Moses says to stone her. So now they're putting Jesus in this really difficult spot. Are you going to follow the law of Moses and have this woman stoned, which they knew that Jesus loves people and is very compassionate. So oh, they're like, he's going to say no. He's going to say, don't do it. And then they got him, right? But if he says, no, go ahead and stone her, then now he's breaking Roman law. And so either way, he's breaking some law, and they're like, we got him. You know, it says they were trying to trap him, and they're like, we've got him. You know, like, they're like, they, they must have thought they were so clever, because they've come up with this thing where Jesus can choose this or this, and either way, he's, he's done for. And so they ask him, they ask Jesus, what do you say? And one thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't play their game. He doesn't say, you know, because it said they demanded. Well, you tell me what you think. You tell me. Come on. Come on. You know, and Jesus, I love this. He just like, you know, he gets down and he's like riding in the sand and, and kind of he's taking his time. And you know what I think? This is not in scripture, but this is what I think is happening. I think he's taking some time to maybe even listen to God. I think he's taking a moment to pray. It doesn't say that in there, but I think that there's just that moment of just, you know, what what do I do in this? And I love that. So it says, like, what do you say? And it's so hard because I think that when we when we look at Jesus and even now, I think that we try to put Jesus in this either or. Jesus either says this or he says that. And it has to be this way or it has to be that way. And Jesus, in his response to most things in scripture that I've noticed, especially in the Gospels, is he always responds in a way that's different than we think. He always comes up, you know, like he's spitting on people and putting like spit in their eye. Like, I wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? I'd be like, go to, you know, go to the faucet, you know, splash your face. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, and just right on in there, rubbing some dirt in. You know, he does things differently. And I think that's a positive thing. I love that about Jesus. And so he's, he's looking at this, and, and the thing about Jesus is he knows the purpose for the law, because the thing is, he was, he was there at the beginning of creation. You know, like, he was there when everything was getting written and, and the whole plan was being made, so he's like, you know, you're kind of off a little bit. And so we look at this in, in Romans three nineteen to 20, it really outlines kind of more stuff about the law, and it says this, obviously the law applies to those whom it was given, duh, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. So here's the crazy thing is we have these, these Pharisees and these scribes that are coming before Jesus and they're using this law to just kind of look at this lady and say, you, you are doing this. And the funny thing is, as they're doing that, what's happening is they are actually breaking the law. And so they are also coming before Jesus, and they are in a place where the law is showing that they too are sinners. 
The whole purpose of the law wasn't so that we would have to be perfect Christians, that we'd have to be perfect people. But it was simply to show us that nobody is perfect. Nobody reaches the standard. Every single person needs an answer for their sin, for their sinfulness. Now, I grew up as a pastor's kid. You know, I had great resumes for Christianity. You know, I helped with the youth, and I did this, and I was an usher, and I, you know, I did all these awesome things. But the reality is, no matter if you're like that, and you've lived your whole life in the way that you're like, I just want to show people God, or if at the very end, after being one of those notorious sinners, at the very end, you recognize, God, I still need you for my sin, it doesn't matter. Every single person is in the same place. Everybody has broken the law. Every person has sinned. There isn't a scale that's like, well, I'm here and you're here, like the Pharisees would like us to believe. If you've sinned, you've sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what scripture says. Everybody before God has sinned. And there is only one thing that will separate someone from somebody else, and that's whether that sin is covered by Jesus himself and his death and resurrection, or if it's not. There actually is no, in in Jesus, there's no, like, I'm a better Jesus or Jesus follower, you know, like, it's it's everything that Jesus did. It has nothing on us. So we need to stop thinking that the law is meant to tell me how good I am and how bad you are. The law is simply there to show everybody, hey, we all are in the same boat. We all have sinned. That's what it's there for. And the crazy thing is I think that we get into these these mindsets of like, you know, well, I've been such a good Christian my whole life and I need to follow the Bible. And it's just like holding on, you know, like it's just you're grabbing this rope and you're just holding on to this thing of like, if I let go of this, what will I have? If I let go of this tradition, if I let go of this mindset, if I let go of, of, of whatever it is that you're holding on to, I feel like I'm just going to fall. I feel like everything is going to unravel and fall apart. And that's a really difficult thing because I think that the Pharisees, what they were doing is they were holding on to that law of Moses. Here is Jesus about to like bring in the new thing. Like the whole point of the law and and the entire Bible is to say like, hey, Jesus is coming. You know, and they totally, he's like there. You can't get any better. Like Jesus is hanging out. Like you, he's, the answer is like right there. And you're like, it's right there, dudes, you know? And, and they just aren't, they, they're not willing to let go of what they knew and how they thought to, to accept this new thing that Jesus is doing. And the same thing with the woman. She's in the same boat because even though she's not trying to follow the law perfectly like the Pharisees were, she's still living in this, well, this is my life of adultery. This is what I know and this is who I am. How many of us have fallen, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are sinners? You know, no, you don't need to raise your hands. But how many of us have, have had things in our lives, you know, something that we are ashamed of or something that happened or something that we chose that we just kind of, we keep replaying that in our head. Oh, well, that's who I am. This is my identity. This is what I struggle with. And we just hold on to that as if there's nothing else that can be. And we just allow this, this false identity and this false thing that's in our lives to just hold us down. And there's no freedom in it for either one. Whether you're trying to live the law perfectly or you're completely ignoring the law, you are doing the same thing. You are, are not allowing Jesus to bring you into this new thing of freedom. And so I was like, okay, well, well, how can I, how can I visually show that, Lord? Like, help me understand, like, well, how do, how do we do that? And so I was thinking, I, I kid you not, when I pray, I get a lot of Disney images. It's just, it is something that comes. He just speaks to me through Disney. 
And so I was thinking of the movie called Tarzan. Have you guys ever seen Tarzan? It's a great animated film. And, and this idea of like, you know, he, he grew up in this family of apes and he had to adapt because obviously he's a human and they're apes. And so to get around, he swings on all these vines, right? It's really cool. I really wish I could do it. And so he would take a vine and he would swing and then he'd have to reach for the next one and he would swing and then he would just get around like that. And I was like, that's how the church and Christians need to learn how to be. I think so many times we grab onto a vine and we start to swing and we get as far as we can with that one, but we're not willing to let go. We're not really willing to move on to the next thing and say, okay, this is the next thing that's happening. To let go of that and move on to the next thing. And move on to the next thing. And I think that this is where a lot of us get caught, whether it's in sin or in, you know, self-righteousness or overly religious stuff, is that we hold on to what we know and we're not willing to get to the next thing that God has for us. Whether that's individually or as a church, it's very hard to move forward because you know that this this is working. This is working fine until it doesn't. And you're still like, well, I, this is still what I know. But you have to be willing to move on to the next thing. Because what Jesus is offering is not just, you know, we're going to do the law better. What he's offering is total freedom from condemnation of the law. That's what Jesus is offering. And that's what we need to give people. In Romans 7, 6, it says this, But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. But we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. This is what Christians today have the opportunity to do. This is, this is incredible. I will say one reason I chose this is because youth of this generation is bad a rap as I think millennials get. They are the best about moving on to the next thing and trying something new and doing, well, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's see if this works. I love that. They're so creative. You guys are so creative. Like you constantly challenge me. I'm like, that's a great idea. You know, and, and we need to stop holding on to the letter of the law of like, this is how it has to be done. And even in youth group, we find it, well, we always did this trip or we always did it this way. We have to let go of that and say, okay, we can't hold on to that anymore. We need to move into this new thing of living in the spirit. God has given every believer the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to hear from God all the time. And he's constantly speaking to you through his spirit. He constantly wants you to to have peace, to know what direction he has for your life. He has all of these things for you. But in order to live that way, you have to let go of some preconceptions and things that are in your mind to be able to hear and to know God's will. That's the new thing that God is offering. That's the new thing that Jesus is offering. So when I say caught in the act, most people are like, oh yeah, they they got the lady. They caught her. That's not actually what it is. It's also the Pharisees that have been caught in the act. They've been caught in the act of self-righteousness. The woman had been caught in the act of adultery. We have to look at our own lives and be like, Lord, what am I being caught in the act of? You know, where we feel like, oh, I'm right on. Am, am I right on? What's my motivation? Guys, my motivation to know and to bring people to you and that they would have a real and honest relationship with you, or am I just trying to give them the law? What is it that you bring to people? What is it that this church brings to people? So we're going to keep going. I don't want, I could go for like an hour. So we're going to keep going. But so Jesus is bending down and he says this. All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. This is one of the most powerful statements, I think, in all of scripture. 
The only one that's in that gathering that could actually throw the stone is Jesus. He is the only one that has never sinned. He is the one that has the right to pick up a stone and throw it. He could have done it right then and he would have been completely and totally justified. But he tells them, anyone without sin, and he puts it on them, are you that person? Are you that person that can throw the stone? And I want people to see the next part of this because I think that this is so important. Is that it says this in verse 9, if you're following along, it says, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left. They recognize the sin in their own life. They're like, I haven't, I haven't completely fulfilled the law. As good as I've been, I know that I'm not perfect. And notice this, young people. The first people to leave was the oldest. The first people to lead and to set an example were the people that were older. I think there's too many times that we make a mistake in a church and we say, it's the young generation leading. Yeah, we're going to lead in some stuff. Absolutely. We're going to challenge. We're going to make you uncomfortable. This is what we do. We're teenagers. This is what we do. You know? But the thing about it is, if you look in the story, who's leading? It's the old people. I mean, the more mature. (laughs) Excuse me. As I look out who I'm talking to. The more mature of us. They were the ones that set the example and set the tone for the younger Pharisees. It's you guys. I think that this is one thing that is so powerful that I think that we have um, kind of taken away in a lot of churches. They're like, the younger generation's coming up and the young people and blah, blah, blah. And we're great. And we are. But the old people are awesome. You guys are some of my favorite people. Some of my closest people in this church that are friends of mine are within 20 to 30 years older than me. You guys are some of my favorites. And I value you so much so that when you speak into my life, I really like, oh, I should do that, you know. I should talk slower. I try, you know, like I should do that. But we need to have the older generation lead as well. And that's the difficult thing is I think that all the generations, whether you're younger or you're older, have things that we hold on to. Every generation has something or multiple things. And we need to figure out what is that thing that I'm holding on to and what is the next thing that has to happen, whether it's in our own personal lives or whether it's in the church as a whole. As youth, what is it that we hold on to that we need to let let go of? Of more seasoned individuals, you know, what is it that we hold on to that we need to move on? Because we need you to help lead us. The older generation, please hear me. We need you to help lead us. We need you to set an example. We need to see what you are doing so that we can follow you. Please hear that. The value of you in our church is immeasurable. Don't forget that even though you're like, well, I've done my time, please don't stop. We still need you. I still need you. So keep showing me what we need to be doing. And then the other part of this is that we also, as a church or as an individual, we know we need to know when it's time to walk away. If we recognize that we're in a situation where we're using the law or we're using something that's negative or, or when we're in conflict that we shouldn't be in or whatever it is, one of the most powerful things that we can do is walk away. As the Anabaptist tradition, we're all about peacemaking, right? We need to know sometimes when it's just time to just walk away and say, you know what, I'm not in the right mindset. I don't have the right heart for doing this. Even when you're speaking into someone's lives. If you're doing it in the way of the letter of the law and the Pharisees, just just stop for a second and say, you know what, I need to go deal with some things in my life first. And then we can come back and have this conversation. It is so important that we need to know when it's time to walk away. Because one thing about this passage that I noticed about Jesus is that Jesus offered something different than the Pharisees to that woman. 
Jesus is offering protection. He actually saved her life so that she wouldn't be stoned or killed. He offered her protection. He offered her value and acceptance. He, he spoke to her, which is, is unheard of. I'm glad that you speak to women now. This is a healthy thing that we do. But, I mean, he spoke to her. He saw her. He valued her. And he offered forgiveness for the things that she was doing. It wasn't that he was just like, oh, everything's okay that you do. But for this time, he offered forgiveness. And all of those actions that he did offered her unconditional love. And you're like, well, Janice, that just, are we just supposed to accept everything then? You know, like, is that just a thing that we're supposed to do? No. We're supposed to also offer direction as a church. But there's a difference between condemnation and direction. Condemnation is one of those things like, just visualize a spear and then just shove it in the person in front of you. That's condemnation. <laughs> you didn't do this. You should do this. You're so wrong. I can't believe you're such a big sinner. That's condemnation. The other part of it is direction of saying, man, God has something bigger for you. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Let me show you what that is so that you can live in that way. It's very different. But that's what Jesus says. He says, neither do I go and sin no more. He didn't offer condemnation. If there's anyone that can offer condemnation, it was Jesus. He's the one that could have done it. He's the judge. At the big judgment day, it's going to be like Jesus and the rest of us, you know. I see like a throne that may not be real. I don't know, but there's like a throne and we're all just chilling there, you know, and, and he's, he's going to judge us. There is a final judgment day, but it wasn't that day. He's like, neither do I condemn you, but just go and sin no more. He offered her direction. Change your life. Go do something different. Don't continue to live in this. And he'd already done that for the Pharisees. Stop being so, you know, self-righteous dudes, you know, stop it. He really challenged them in that as well. And it's hard because I think every person, whether you grew up in church, whether you're the best Christian or not, all of us need freedom. Whether it's when we make a mistake and it's hard to forgive ourselves, Jesus is like, you're already forgiven. Or we're living in just deep sin and we feel like we can't get out of it, Jesus is like, I have a place for you to go. Whatever it is, Jesus is offering that to every single person. And the thing is, now that we are empowered by the Spirit, which we talked about earlier, that is now our role. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my Spirit so that you can continue the work that I'm doing and do even greater things than I did. So now it is up to us as a church, and the church being the people, it's up to you and you and you and you and you and me to now do what Jesus did. We need to offer people protection. We need to offer people value. We need to offer people acceptance and forgiveness and love. And most important, we need to offer people direction. There is something better and there is more freedom in this life with Jesus than you will ever know. And if you grew up in the church, sometimes it's hard for us to to fully experience that in a way that someone that's lived outside of the church and comes in. I love those stories. They're like, you know, I I was living in fear and darkness and I, I thought that there was no purpose. And then they're like, and then I became a Christian and I found peace and life and love and freedom. I was like, that is what Jesus offers. And that is what the church needs to be. This needs to be that place. And I will say the generation that is younger, you guys do a great job at this. You guys do an awesome job of inviting people in. And even like some of, we've, you know, we get, you know, comments about you guys now and again. And they're like, they're so friendly. I was like, they are. I love them. You know, this is a friendly church. That's good. Continue to be. And then go deeper. I want to be friendly. We want to be supportive. We want to be encouraging. 
We want to help people find direction. We want to walk with them in their life. That's what Bethany Church needs to be, and that's what I believe that we can be. I'm going to pray real quick, and I'm going to invite up uh, the... Uh, what are you guys? You're the band. I'm going to invite up the band here. And then we're going to sing one more song. And as we're singing, just think about the words. It's just it's called resurrecting or whatever. You know, the power of Jesus' resurrection... And what he gives to us is just really powerful. So let's pray real quick and then we'll head into worship for our last song. God, I just thank you for this word, God. I just thank you for this challenge, God, of, you know, who do I identify with? God, what are the things that I'm holding on to? What are the things that challenge me, God, that I need to look at the story and say, God, I need to move forward in this or I need to let go of this. God, all of us have stuff. God, I know that I do. So, God, I just pray right now, God, that through your spirit, God, that you would speak to every individual in this church, God, and that you know their life, you know their heart, you know their mind. So, God, I pray right now that you would reveal to them exactly what it is that you want to tell them. God, whether it's something to change or whether it's something that you just want to speak truth into their life. God, that they would hear that right now in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.